0: Hi, my name is Heather Chitrangelo. I created Systemic Renewal and I believe that no one and no situation is ever too far gone. Hi everyone, Heather Chitrangelo here. We are back for the next episode of Never Too Far Gone. And today I'm changing track. I am about to start a six week series focusing on a specific and new topic relating to systemic renewal and that is called following favour. One of the principles that we have within the practice of systemic renewal is a phrase that we use that's called follow the favour and sometimes we use it even a bit jovially. We talk about not just discerning you know where are the levers and leverage points for change within the system in a technical sense but also looking at where are the platforms that we have the most ease of access to and who are the people who are already prepared to work with us who already share our vision and our heart who are the people uh, that we're going to do this groundbreaking cataclysmic mindset shifting work alongside and who are the people really who are prepared to have their own mindsets changed in the process. So we use this phrase, follow the favor, and we think about where is their favor in my sphere of influence in my context already. And so this six part series is called Following Favor. I am going to do some interviews, but I'm also going to base this series on some material from an oldie but a goodie. There is uh, a book that's a little more dated now. It was written by the amazing, brilliant, enigmatic Jim Collins. He wrote a book in 2001 based on his research team's work called Good to Great. Uh, it's still an incredible read. There's nothing like it. And so, I want to sort of base this discussion on his work and working through some of the results that came out of their study which was based on a very extensive qualitative look at 11 companies which his team managed to identify as having taken a leap from good to great results and really studying the specific elements that made the difference between a good company and a great company and how that was defined was that to make the cut as having become a great company, the company had to show that it had stock returns that were 6.9 times the general market and that this minimum achievement had been sustained for over 15 years. So 11 companies were identified as great according to this criteria and then companies were then compared to a selected control group of comparison companies that had failed to make that leap. So Jim Collins wrote the key principles around what his team discovered made the difference between a good company and a great company and how to make that shift from A to B. One of the key points in their findings is I think so missing from systems change theory and a lot of the discussion around how to change systems today. And that is the lost art of focusing in on who. You know, um, Simon Sinek, thank you, has helped us to get back to the why question before we get to the how and the what questions. But Jim Collins helped us get back to the who question. And what his team found is that who we work with Is more important, more primary than what we do. And that if we don't get the who right, we won't get the what right. So he writes in his book the key point is that who questions come before what decisions. Before vision, before strategy, before organization structure, before tactics, first who, then what is a rigorous discipline consistently applied. So one of the things that we recognize in the field of systemic thinking is the critical aspect of mindsets or paradigms, how organizations think about themselves in the system will inform how they behave and that we can't just change strategy, vision or structure or tactics without changing mindsets. But Jim Collins' work reminds us that to change mindsets, we even need to go a layer deeper into the tectonic plates of the system and ask, who? Who has been behind this system historically? Who is behind it now? Who are the right people to have on the bus? And who are the wrong people to have on the bus? So I want to dedicate six sessions of this podcast to the question, how do we discern who to work with. This is primary, essential, and it's a skill that gets, I think, not enough airplay in terms of how we lead change. I don't say it's the only skill. We need to work with the right people. We need to build the right teams with the right culture and work with the right people in the right way. But I would say in terms of systemic renewal, this is about a quarter of what's involved. It isn't the whole picnic. Actual strategies and policy changes and how we go about re-narrating the system is a whole skill set that takes up the other three quarters. So it's not that I'm saying everything's about having nice chats about the right issues with the right people. It's not about sitting around in groups, unpacking things, but it is about who. So who are your people? My daughter is nearly 10 years old, Mary, and she had some challenges last year in 2023 with some of her friendship choices and some of her friendship experiences at school. And we had this really powerful conversation as I was coming alongside her and listening to her debrief those experiences and work out how she was feeling and how she was going to respond to that and she asked me this question uh, kind of out of the blue straight from her heart she said mum how do you know who your people are and I just felt so struck I thought this is such an important question for life let alone for our working life and I had to sort of pause and really honestly say to her, sweetheart, that is such an important question. I I think I'm still working out how to know that. You know, it's it's tricky and I've gotten it wrong and I've had to learn along the way who my people are. Well, looking back on that conversation, that was my honest answer, but it wasn't a very good answer because I didn't really answer the question. So I want to attempt to answer the question today that just in the same way as socially and in terms of the key relationship commitments that we form in our lives, that question, who are my people, is so central. It is also so central to leading change within a system. Who are my people? Who is going to come with? Who is going to work with me, challenge me, push me, stretch me, collaborate with me, Uh, Because change really is a team sport. And so my answer to the question, dear Mary, if you ever listen to this podcast one day when you're 25 or even older and coming back to that question, who are my people? My answer is three things. What we look for is three C's that I think about, character, competence and commitment. And I ask three questions as I'm getting to know a person, as they're getting to know me. Can this person admit when they are wrong? That's character. Can this person show up on a hard day? That's confidence. And can this person get back in the ring after taking a hit? That's commitment. These are the three aspects of the who question that we work on in Systemic Renewal, and they also parallel with the findings in Jim Collins' studies. So I'm going to unpack that over the next few weeks with you. But for today, as you settle into this little half hour to pause and reflect on your own practice and your own experience in change leadership, and as you journal or walk or breathe in the moment, I'm going to share with you some insights from my own learnings around those three areas of character, competence and commitment and working out who we have favour with. So let's start with character, if you're ready to get going. Uh, Character is more important than anything else, than competence. Uh, We often say, don't we, in terms of human resource management, that you can teach competence and skills, but you can't teach character. And so who is the person in front of me? who am I? Are we a match? Those are sort of more critical questions than where did this person study? Did they have good grades? Where have they worked? What do their references say about them? As much as we need to look at those things, they really are very secondary to the character of the person. And by character, I do not mean does this person have a nice clean moral record. In fact, I would suggest that it is quite irrelevant um, what a person's record has been. Uh, The right person to work with. Just, well, maybe a person who's made a lot of mistakes in their life, who um, maybe they've got 10 broken marriages behind them, or maybe they have committed crimes. Maybe they were a drug dealer. Maybe they have fallen flat on their face and gradually over 10 years... Uh, been able to slowly recover from a major setback whatever it is uh, in their story it's not about ticking boxes on who has the cleanest record or the most moral goodness Uh, these would be irrelevant questions to me in my experience there is one core question one aspect to a person's character that matters more than anything else in my experience and That is, basically, if this person wants to be a part of change leadership, of changing mindsets, are they changeable? Uh, Have they developed the skill of having their mind changed? In other words, um, do they know how to say sorry? Do they know how to forgive? Are their hearts malleable and soft, or are their hearts hardened? Do they stick to their story no matter what, or are they prepared to have the narrative challenged. Um, I worked with a woman who uh, is a psychologist and a specialist in positive psychology. She uh, was a senior leader in the space of student well-being when I was working with international students. Her name is Alison, I'm going to name her, uh, because I'm about to compliment her, because Allison was one of the most incredible leaders I've ever worked with and we had a really harmonious relationship that led to a lot of positive outcomes for our work together and also across the team that she led in the time that I was there and the reason I I believe is that we did have this ability in our working relationship to apologize and forgive and looking back the moments when we needed to do that with each other were the moments that really made the character and the quality of our work kind of escalate overnight. You know, um, it wasn't the areas of alignment that we had philosophically of which there was many, many areas that we aligned with in terms of our values and ideas. It wasn't our ability to laugh and have fun together, even though we had that it wasn't our great communication skills and our ability to discuss things carefully with each other and listen, even though we did have that. The richest part for me of the experience was the moment that, first of all, I needed to apologize to her. Um, quite early in my role, I made a mistake. I uh, I tried to push for a kind of shift in strategy around how we did orientation and it doesn't really matter what it was about but basically it conflicted with the values of the senior leadership team in a way that i hadn't anticipated and before i knew it there were complaints happening kind of over her head coming back to her about what i wanted to do and you know classically that wasn't the best communication flow but it's what happened and i had to sit back and realize that i'd moved too quickly on something without understanding the context and that it was a a mistake, it was an error of judgment on my part and that had complicated things for her. Uh, It wasn't insurmountable, but that's what happened. And, you know, in my experience, like these moments really can make rather than break our leadership because I was able to sit in her office and just say, look, I've learned better. I can see this now and I can see that now and I couldn't see it before and I'm sorry. I got it wrong. I'm going to change it. Um, equally an experience that I remember that happened, that was one of the most powerful conversations I think I've ever had in a workplace happened around the time that COVID was, uh, becoming known that it was a pandemic and that lockdowns were going to be necessary. And our, organization had started what became a a three-year series of redundancies and different rounds of restructuring and I think we were up to about the second round when my role was cut to half time and she uh, basically she needed to go into bat for me a little bit more than she did and I had to have a conversation with her to be honest enough to say the leadership team that made this decision don't know me. They don't know my portfolio. They don't know the work that I do. And the decision isn't based on the right information. And she received that. And we spent a whole afternoon together. We had cups of tea, and we had cake, and we wrote a proposal together to correct, you know, what had been a mistake. And she was able to acknowledge that she hadn't done enough. And I was able to forgive her. So these moments are how we know that we have favor with the right people. These are the people that we want on our team. So one of the things that we look at after character in the context of systemic renewal is what I call competence. Uh, First of all, It is basically true that for all the good intentions in the world, we need to work with people who understand the field we're in and who have skills and competence in the work. Uh, They also have to be, in terms of competence, something a little bit broader than just having the skill set that the job requires. They need to be people who can manage themselves well, who have kind of a, a psychological competence Uh, And that means they need to be well. Uh, One of the things that i found is that it is not worth uh, trying to carry someone who calls in sick regularly, if that makes sense. Someone who is great when they're good, but terrible when they're not good. Uh, This does not mean at all that the right person to work with and even sometimes the greatest leaders of all time are not people who may have... Trauma recovery process happening, or who've been experiencing burnout, or who may be uh, struggling with relationship breakdown, or addiction, or mental health issues. Uh, None of those things exclude a person at all. In fact, they can be strengths. But the critical area around competence really is is this person working on the issues? Are they seeking the help they need? Are they self aware? And can they be relied on to turn up? And be present. Uh, If not, it may just not be the right time for them. One of the things that I've found over many years, especially working in volunteer organizations and contexts, is that change leadership, uh, often because it is about challenging the status quo, it does tend to attract personalities who like to challenge the status quo and who like to sit on the fringe of the system a bit. And sometimes those people, and uh, I can be what I would call freeloaders, people who want to deconstruct, complain, challenge, criticize, consider themselves a little bit outside of the system or outside of the box. None of that in and of itself is bad. I'm outside of the box too. But uh, sometimes those personality types just haven't really learned how to kind of get out of bed in the morning and get themselves some breakfast and get to work on time. And passion and talent is not enough to compensate for just that inability to adult. So I run programs in a way that has layers. There are always all-in events that just anyone is welcome to come to, all-in. But for example, the mastery program that I'm creating for systemic renewal to become a skill set that people can become qualified in is going to be a program that requires five years of experience in a field, current work occurring within that context, and people who already hold middle to senior management levels of experience. You know, I have to create boundaries and definition around the degree of competence that we're looking for in the people that we're working with And that can have layers in different contexts and different projects. So that's character and that's competence. Number three is what I call commitment. Sometimes people call this calling, uh, a sense of vocation, a sense of really this is what I was born to do. But that varies from person to person, what that means. So what I'm looking for in terms of a third area of knowing whether I'm a good match and this person's a good match and we can work together on this project is what I'm calling commitment. Some people are really good fun to work with. Some people are brilliant in about 25 different ways and they're top of the class at everything they do. Some people are very impressive in the way that they speak and in the way that they conduct themselves in meetings but there's still people who will drop you like a hot potato as soon as an opportunity comes along for a promotion or as soon as they can make a little bit more money and their values can change overnight if they get a better offer. Some people will just leave you hanging out on your own when you stand up for what's right because It might cost them a little bit too much to join you out there. And those people are fine to have on your staff and in your life, but they're not your core people. They're not the people that are going to work with you on systemic renewal. So what I really believe and what I've really experienced and what a lot of research shows, including Jim Collins' work on good to great, is that the moments that really count in leadership are the moments that we push past our quitting point, the breaking moments, the moments when everything feels too hard and we take a breath and we find it within ourselves to, perhaps after a break, keep going. Nothing wrong with a break. But it's the point at which we do get up and get back in the ring that really defines whether the system is going to get shaken in the long run. So the people who we want to work with and the people we want to be to others are people who can get back up after taking a hit and only time will tell us that, only time can test that. I want to read to conclude here. Uh, I want to share a, a little piece of script from a film called The Story of Us. The story of us stars Michelle Pfeiffer and Bruce Willis and they play the characters of two married people who are married to each other and they've been together 15 years and they have children and they are at a point in their marriage where it's kind of make or break. Their marriage has become really stale. And the story is powerful and relatable because it's not a story about an unsafe or violent or abusive marriage. It's not a story about two people who realized over time that they've made a terrible judgment error in terms of choosing each other and that there really is no compatibility between them. Um, It's a story about two people who are very compatible and very in love, but who over time have just lost the spark and find themselves tired and arguing a lot more often than they find themselves joyful and the marriage has become stale and boring and hard work and the communication levels are starting to disintegrate and slide and they find themselves a little bit more excited by the company of others in their lives than each other and their marriage is being tested is it time to call it quits. Anyway, there's this beautiful moment at the end of the film where Michelle Pfeiffer's character, she does this speech uh, to Bruce Willis where she, after taking space from him, decides that she wants to keep trying. And I want to share this as uh, a little script that kind of describes what it's like when we hit those moments, not just in personal relationships but in our work as well, working within a system that we love, um, that we're passionate about what the system does, that we believe uh, in the goodness more than the darkness of that system. But we also know that there are profound changes that need to be made and serious issues that need to be addressed, right? And I just want to say, you know, this is not to say, um, drawing from this script, that there isn't a moment for marriages to be left and that that isn't at times, in fact, the most courageous and most appropriate decision. But this is a moment uh, captured in film where an individual decides I'm not going to walk away. So here we go. I'm going to read this to you. She says to Bruce Willis, it's because we're in us. There's a history here and histories don't happen overnight. You know, in Mesopotamia or Troy or somewhere like that, there are these cities, I don't know, cities that are built on top of other cities, but I don't want to build another city. I like this city. I know what kind of mood you're in when you wake up, by which eyebrow is higher than the other, and you always know that I'm a little quiet in the morning and compensate accordingly. That's a dance to perfect over time. And it's hard. It's much harder than I thought it would be and there's more good than bad and you just don't give up and it's not for the sake of the children but they are really great kids aren't they and we made them and I mean think about that I mean it's like there were no people there and then there were these people and they grew let's face it everybody's going to have traits that get on your nerves i mean why wouldn't it be your annoying traits and I'm not a day at the beach but I do have a good sense of direction so at least I can find the beach, which is not a criticism of yours but it's a strength of mine and God, you're a good friend and good friends are hard to find. Charlotte says that in Charlotte's Web and I love the way you read that to Erin and you take on the voice of Wilbur the pig with such commitment even when you're both tired and that speaks volumes about character and ultimately Isn't that what it comes down to? What a person's made of? In my life, in the system that I serve, there have been quitting points, and there probably will be more. I want to finish this podcast today by sharing a little shout out to Father Peter who changed my life, who was one of the good Catholic priests in the world and who provided a safe space for me and for many young people to grow in relationship and in confidence and in community and in faith. Somehow he managed to continue to serve in a system that was so severely broken in the area of safety and child protection and he in fact at one point went to this community that had said goodbye to their previous priest because he had gone to jail for sexual offenses and he helped that community to rebuild after experiencing those extreme ruins and profound broken trust and I am just so grateful to him that he did because he changed my life and the life of so many thousands of people it would have been completely understandable if he had decided to walk away at that point it would have been completely understandable and completely okay if he had decided to have nothing to do with ministry in this system ever again but he didn't And all I can say about that is I'm just so grateful that he didn't. Do you know what? There are times in life when the right thing to do is walk away. And there are communities and contexts and sometimes even projects that it's appropriate to quit on. So don't hear me saying that it isn't appropriate or even courageous to make that decision. But what I do know and... What research shows and what history has taught us is that the great leaders who lead communities through impossible mindset shifts into a new and better way, they're always people who know how to get up, dust themselves off, and say, despite the serious darkness within this system and the scars that I'm carrying, as a result, There's still more good than bad. And even when you're tired and you feel like there's only a tiny bit of breath left to get up and show up tomorrow, the decision to do that could lead to affecting transformation in thousands, even millions of people's lives. These are the moments where we know who we are and who our people are. So let's conclude with our reflection time and three questions. First of all, a question about character. Is there someone who you need to say sorry to, or is there someone you need to forgive? Who has done this for you before and how did it impact you? about competence. Is there an area in your leadership that needs a little bit more stamina or consistency? And who has impressed you lately with their ability to show up on a hard day? And lastly, commitment. Have you taken a hit? And do you need to get back in the ring soon? Or are you avoiding taking a hit? Because that would come with getting in the game. Is it time to take a risk? The Academy of Systemic Renewal is based in Melbourne, and so we acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and we pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging.